So if you have a copy of God's Word, let's turn together to the book of Numbers. Numbers. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Um, I can't tell you how excited I am uh, for uh, us as pastors and us collectively on Sunday night to look at various texts here in this book of Numbers. Um, all too often, if, if you've been like me and years gone by, your, your annual Bible reading plan either gets uh, moored, uh, you, don't, you don't make it through your Bible reading plan, it's either blamed on Leviticus or Numbers. Uh, and so to be able to, to show us how this book works and ultimately how this book points us to Jesus, uh, I think will be a great gift to us as, as a congregation. Uh, this, this evening we're looking just at the first four verses of chapter 1. It really stands in for the whole chapter, which is the census with which the book begins. But before we, we turn our attention to God's Word and see how it is that this book of Numbers actually helps us and comforts us and ultimately leads us to Christ, we need to ask the help of our Lord. So would you pray with me, please? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we bless you tonight. Uh, that we have the opportunity to gather, to close the Lord's Day together, to say how good it is for us uh, as your people to be united around your word and around this table set before us in the presence of our enemies. And so we do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would open our eyes of faith tonight and that you would speak your word to us. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Numbers chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month, in the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel, by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, from twenty years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them, company by company. And there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, in another lifetime ago, I was a passionate collector of baseball cards. In fact, from the time I was six years old to the time I was about 12 or 13, my parents didn't actually pay me for my chores with money. They paid me in baseball cards. You remember, those of you who collected cards back in the day, the, the packs of 12 and with that, that wonderful cardboard bubble gum that you would get that was like 3,000 years old with the cards. That's what I got for doing my chores. And I was a collector, uh, a collector in the sense that I was looking for and, and hoping for my favorite players who were any of the pitchers from the Houston Astros, Nolan Ryan, J.R. Richard, Joe Necro, Don Sutton, even Joe Sambito. I would go for a Joe Sambito card, but I was also a counter, not just a collector, but a counter. I would, I would take all my cards out of the box where I kept them underneath my bed and I would count them all. I would inventory them. I would organize them. I'd spread them out all over my floor in my bedroom. I would, would stack them up and I would start it all over again. And I would do that 
hour after hour when I should have been doing my homework, I was counting my baseball cards. One of the things I think you can learn, not just about individuals and their baseball cards, but, but even this place in the Bible, is that God, too, is a counter. After all, in our English Bibles, this book in the Bible is called Numbers. Although, in the Hebrew Bible, it's actually called In the Wilderness, after the first Hebrew word that shows up in the text. Still, the fact that our English Bibles calls this book Numbers, it tells us something fundamental about how we perceive this book. Namely, there's a lot of numbers in this book. There's two entire sentences, one in chapter 1 and then another in chapter 26. And so this book of numbers with these two sentences where God is counting tells us God's a counter. He numbers his people, counts them, arranges them, sees them individually, sees them whole. God's constantly numbering us, counting us. But if if you've ever gotten stuck in your Bible reading plan in these sentences, or if you've wondered why God is a counter, I hope that tonight you will begin to understand why these passages are in our Bibles. Because what I want to suggest to you this evening is that, is that what we find here in the book of Numbers, and especially in this census in chapter 1, is God's unshakable commitment to his people, both as individuals and as a community. A commitment that will lead him not only to carry his people across the wilderness and bring them into the promised land, but ultimately a commitment that will lead God himself all the way to the cross in the empty tomb for their redemption. Not just a portion, but every single one whom he's claimed for himself. And so the first thing you need to notice about these verses that we read here in Numbers chapter 1 is this command. The book opens with a command. Look at your Bibles again. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting, on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, take a census. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that the Lord is the one speaking to Moses, telling him, commanding him to take the census? Well, it's important because it tells us it wasn't Moses' idea. Rather, this, this is the command of God. This is what God wants Moses to do, is to, is to count, take a census. The British pastor Raymond Brown observed how important it is that the book starts with the Lord speaking, the Lord giving this command, And Moses then moving to obey over 150 times in 20 different kinds of ways in the book of Numbers. God will speak, he will command, he will direct. And Moses and God's people will do. Of course, God is speaking to his people through Moses. The word of the Lord ultimately is guiding his people through this wilderness, directing them on their way to the promised land. And so this command tells us God speaks, he directs, he guides, and he does so through his word. But here's the thing. He still does that today. He he still commands you and me today. He still speaks to us today. He still directs us today. How? Well, through Holy Scripture. Over and again, what does the Bible call itself? It calls us the word of the Lord. 
it tells us that this is, this is what God says. And when God speaks, his people are to do, his people are to obey. Not part of it, but all of it. Not, not just the stuff I like, but also the stuff I don't like. When God's word commands us, if we're going to know his peace, then we need to obey his word. It's like the old gospel song has it. What he says, we will do. Where he sends, we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. That, that's what Moses and, and ultimately the men that he selects as tellers are going to do. God speaks, he commands, and they obey him. They move to count the people. It's notable when, when God counts the people, he counts them both as individuals, but he also numbers them in the aggregate as a community. Look again at verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2. Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel, by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male head to head. That, that last part, according to the number of names, every male head to head. It tells you that God numbers us as individuals. Those who were counted weren't simply nameless, faceless people. They weren't simply assigned a number. No, God counts us by name. He numbers his people head by head. It's our great fear, isn't it? Our great fear is being lo lost in the shuffle of, of being another number, of being dehumanized. I mean, it's one of the great tricks of the tyrants removing people's names and simply identifying them by a number. In his 2019 book titled, How to Be a Dictator, the Cult of Personality in the 20th Century, the historian Frank Dickotter observed that this very phenomenon, over and again throughout history, dictators would dehumanize people by taking away their names, taking away their individuality, and simply giving them numbers, aggregating them in the mass. But listen, God doesn't do that. God doesn't look at you simply as this nameless, faceless mass called church. No, he actually, he knows you by name. He counts you as, as an individual, and he tells you that over and again. Isaiah chapter 43, God says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Isaiah 45, for the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. And of course, Jesus picks up on this in John chapter 10, speaking of the great shepherd. He says, the, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name, and he leads them out. Listen, you may feel far away from God. And you may feel all alone, like nobody knows. You may feel as though you walk through life or maybe walk in this church and you feel like nobody knows and cares about you. You're bearing burdens that, that just simply are, are your burdens and, and you're, nobody notices and nobody cares. But, but that's not true. That's actually a lie the devil tells you. Because God cares. He notices. He knows you in your particularity. He counts you as his own in all that you are, as you are fearfully and wonderfully made, as a, as a beautiful and discreet individual before him. Those burdens that you carry, he knows. 
If, he, if God is the one who counts the hairs on your head, how many you may have right now, undoubtedly are fewer than what you had 10 years ago. God numbers the hairs on your head. He certainly knows about you and your difficulties. Because God cares about us and counts us as individuals. But he also knows about us and counts us as a, as a community. He, he starts, verse 2, by saying, take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel, by their clans, by fathers' houses. And so as the counters go through the people and they do this task, you're going to see it over and over. If you were to read your way through chapter 1 and actually read the census, it'll, it'll say, those listed of this tribe were so many people. Or those listed in that tribe were so many people. And it numbers in the thousands, in the tens of thousands. In other words, belonging to a community is important. There are benefits that come to us in, in being counted among a particular people. As part of a particular community. I mean, we know that in our families. No matter how dysfunctional your family is. Or how fractious it may be. Our families still offer us a sense of belonging a sense of identity, and in times of crisis, even in dysfunctional families, our, our families are the ones we, we hope, or even count on, rallying to us. But how much more is that the case with God's family? I mean, here in, our, in the church, we have this, and find this sense of identity. We're baptized into God's people, and we are nurtured by God's people. We profess our faith with God's people. We worship with God's people. We're taught by God's people. We're disciplined by God's people. All that we are and all that we have comes to us through this family of faith. We belong to this community, not some other kind of community. This community shapes us and gives us a sense of identity, but also a sense of belonging. When, when we know difficulty, that's when this family of faith shows up. Y'all, that's the case with IPC. I've seen it over and again as I've been your pastor. When there is difficulty, that's when people pray. And they come along and they weep with you and lay their hands upon you. I've been in, in rooms with our elders, weeping as they pray over those who are sick, those who know difficulty. Because that's what family does, no matter how dysfunctional it may be. Families come alongside and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And, and so it's not enough to simply be an individual Christian. The, the ideal that the Bible holds out to us is not me and Jesus sitting at the dining room table talking about the Bible. No, the ideal that the Bible holds out to us is us as the people of God gathered around his table, feasting upon his word and his sacrament as a community of faith. To be counted in this way. Having, having at God's command been numbered among his people and having a, a particular common commitment that we would live out together. Our text here talks in terms of a, a commitment that belonged to the people of God that was theirs. It, you get it in verse 3. After giving the command for this census, verse 3, from 20 years old upward, all in Israel who were able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company. There were two reasons in the Old Testament census, censuses were taken. One was taxation. 
Um, and so you needed to know how many people and how much property in order to be able to gauge how much revenue that uh, Israel might be able to realize in a given moment. But the other purpose for counting for a census was military. And that's what it is here. The males are counted 20 years and old, 20 years and up. And notice there's no senior age opt-out, no AARP group that gets to leave the army. No, the males 20 years old and up, however old they are, are counted and, and enlisted as part of the army. Everyone's enrolled for the possibility of war. And certainly the 600,000 that are counted here were meant to provide defense for God's people as they made their way through the wilderness. But of course, they, were, they needed to be prepared to fight for the promised land as well. They had a defensive function and an offensive function. And it reminds us that we too, as God's people, are engaged as, as an army of the Lord in spiritual warfare. We have a commitment to fight defensively, to be sure, to ward off the attacks of the enemy as sows doubts about the Bible or about who Jesus is or what Jesus has done. But, but we also have a commitment as God's people to fight offensively in our various callings to, to advance his kingdom. But also as a community that worships and prays and witnesses, we storm the gates of Hades and they will not defeat us or resist us in the end. But what happens when, what happens when members of the army opt out? When they absent themselves without leave, or when they lay down their arms and actually consort with the enemy. We're actually going to see that all the way through this book of Numbers. Which means then that the commitment that, that this census represents, it's not as great a commitment as God's commitment to his people. The God who brought Israel out of Egypt is or, or the God who brought Israel into Egypt as 70 will bring them out again as 600,000. He's the God who will continue to sustain his people and preserve them even through their disobedience. If you look at the end of chapter 1 in verse 46, you, you have this, this final number. After counting up all of these tribes, uh, Moses and his census taker says, all those listed were 603,550. These are all the fighting men, all those 20 years old and up who come out of Egypt in that first generation. But, but you undoubtedly already know the story of Numbers, right? The first generation will disobey the word of God. The first generation will oppose God's leaders, work against them at every point, rebel against them along the way, so much so that, that God finally says, enough. First generation, you will not come into the promised land. You will all die in the wilderness. It'll be your children, the second generation. They will be the ones who actually enter into the promised land. But, but when God brings that second generation to the promised land, did he, did he decrease their numbers? Did he simply say, well, I'll, I'll take whatever I can get? Well, no. If you were to jump ahead to Numbers chapter 26 and look at that second census, which is the census of the second generation, in Numbers 26 verse 51, it says, this is the list of the people of Israel, 601,730. Well, what does that mean? 603,000 at the beginning, 601,000 at the end, what does it mean? It means that God was determined that his commitment to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would not fail. 
His commitment to Israel would not fail. They might prove faithless, but God would be shown to be faithful. And he would be faithful all the way to the end. And the commitment to his promises would actually cause God to go go further. Because, of course, God will bring his people into the promised land. And and is it all smooth sailing after that? No. They'll rebel against him over and again. There will be a high point during the kingdom of David. But then David's son, Solomon, would ultimately lead to the division of the kingdom and Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And then Israel, the northern tribes, would go into exile. And then Judah, the southern two tribes, will go into exile. Why? For their disobedience, for their idolatry. And yet, God will remain faithful and will demonstrate his commitment to these people whom he has counted, whom he has numbered, whom he has loved. And how will God do that? Well, he'll come. And he'll dwell among them. And he'll walk among his people. He'll teach and preach and heal. He'll come to his own, even though his own will receive them not. And this commitment that God demonstrates to his people will ultimately cause Jesus Christ, the word of God, who is God, to die on a Roman cross for the sins of the world. And from that one God-man, from that one individual person, You and I have been brought into the community of God's people. You and I have been brought and enlisted into his army. You and I have been brought to this table set in this wilderness, set in the presence of our enemies. Every single one of us, and all of us together, numbered and counted, loved and blood-bought. That's how committed God is to you. That he would come and dwell among his people And die on the cross so that you might be brought in, numbered, counted, loved, known by name, known right here. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do bless you that you have numbered us in just this way, but not just numbered us. You have loved us, loved us in our particularity, loved us with a love that will not let us go. Even when we have proven faithless time and again, you have proven faithful, faithful to your promises, faithful to your commitment. Lord, may we rejoice in you this evening as you invite us to come and to feast at this table sat here in Zion. And you have enrolled us as your people among the very people of Zion, enrolled us, numbered us, count us, Counted us, known us, known us by name. Lord, grant us grace this night to rejoice in you and to trust you yet again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.